Hi everyone. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to Bible study. Wednesday Bible study today. I'll give you a couple minutes to um, tune in. Um, last week it was canceled and that is because it was the Jubilee week and my children were all home from school, from work, from everywhere and um, so I, I had a lot of responsibilities here at home. Plus I needed a week off, get my head together, get my notes together. And they are together this week, my notes. Yeah, I'm just gonna give you a couple of minutes just to come on and, and anyone who wants to watch live. But hey, please don't feel like, oh, I've not been following along, following along with the Bible study up to this point, so there's no point in me watching today. No, you're wrong because I'll tell you right now, you can catch on at, at any point, at any point, because each one of these Bible studies, although we're following along in a sequence, we started in the book of Matthew with the New Testament, um, we're, we're in chapter 7, we're, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, it is at any point that you could join this train, okay? And you will not feel lost. You will know what's going on. I'll explain it well enough, I think, that you'll understand right where we are. Also, uh, if you are interested, you can go back and watch these. And I know that they're on podcast. Um, I believe you can watch them on uh, the Family Church site. So there you go. You can catch on wherever we are. All right. Well, we've got quite a bit to cover today, although you're going to say, how do we have a lot to cover today when today we are only doing three verses from the book of Matthew chapter seven? That's right. Only three verses. I was going to do all the way to the end of chapter seven, which would have been a few more verses, about four more verses, five more verses in that. But you know what? It was enough. Those three verses, they were Three little hot potatoes, and we are going to talk about those three little hot potatoes today from the Sermon on the Mount. I am loving the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't realize my whole life that I never really looked deeply at. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The dog is up. I'm like crazy. Two seconds. Someone just tried to the door. My daughter and her friend and my dog went crazy, of course. And I dropped my Bible. I think the cover just broke. Oh well. <laughs> now, as I'm talking to you, I'm gonna find that page. All right, here we go. Found it. Kind of just opens up to that now because we've been in um, Matthew uh, so long. Only a small little tear, no problem. There we go. All right. Good morning, everyone. By the way, good morning and welcome everyone who's joining with us. Okay. Hopefully that will be the only disturbance. Sorry if you're um, if you were driving and your eardrums are broken now from Poppy the dog. Sorry about that. All right, here let's get started now. Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-one through twenty-three, and today we're going to be talking about in my Bible. It is called true and false disciples. Let me just one more second. I'm sorry, I got to shut the door properly. People went out. Oh, wait. Sorry about that. Here we go again. Oh, my goodness. I should do these in the 
in the studio at church. But, and they wouldn't be as fun, would they? They wouldn't have the dog barking in the background. All right, we're talking about true and false disciples. We are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Let's get started. All right. I am going to start reading this. Now, actually, in this Bible, now that was from another Bible. It was entitled True and False Disciples. In this one, it's called, eek, listen to these words, I never knew you. Words you don't want to hear from God, okay? Let's talk about it. Let's read it first. So we are in verse uh, 21. Not everyone, this is Jesus talking, remember, he's still giving his sermon, which is to believers, followers of his, okay? This is not a sermon that is aimed toward unbelievers with like a gospel-type message there. No, this is a sermon to his followers that he's given on the side of a mountain, and he has just given us God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, has come, and he's giving a sermon. I always remind myself as I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount that this is God incarnate, who's come down and he's giving a sermon to his followers, which has been immortalized in our Bibles, and we can read it whenever we want. Boy, does it give some amazing wisdom. Here we go. All right. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in the day, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ah! These are scary verses. All right, let's talk about them because I don't want you to be scared. I want you to fully understand them and then I believe you will not be scared. Maybe a little scared, but not fully scared. Okay, anyway. Okay, so we're at the end, nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We have been in the Sermon on the Mount for weeks, so this has turned into a series on the Sermon on the Mount. But wow, hasn't it been life-changing if you've been following along, following along this whole way? That the things that Jesus said, even next week, the bit we covered, people will say um, of, of this sermon of Jesus, they'll be like, wow, that was an amazing sermon. That was like he, he just gave that sermon with such authority. You know, that's what they're going to be saying. And we're getting to read this sermon and, and delve into this sermon um, which Jesus gave. And, and it blows my mind a little. Okay, so we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's beginning to wrap up everything that he's been teaching these people on the side of the mountain, teaching us. Okay, and what we have learned and we have spent many weeks on talking about is a lot of this. I would say you could fit almost all of it under this theme of that, of the importance of the heart. We have talked about this week in and week out, how God places importance on the heart the center of our lives from which all other parts of our life flows from. Everything in our life will flow from this place that God calls the heart, the center of our lives, our inner life. And Jesus has told us um, throughout how important, how, how of the utmost importance the heart is to God. It says that Man looks at the outward appearance. Doesn't it say that in scripture? But what does it say of God? That God looks at the heart. Okay. For example, 
we learned in this sermon in, in past weeks that not committing adultery, yeah, that's true, right? But that's not enough. You're not supposed to lust after a person in your heart. Okay, Mur commit, not committing murder is, is good. Don't commit murder. But that's not enough. We're not to hate our brother or our sister. And if we have something against them in our heart, we are to get that right with them. Okay, so it's not just about the outward things we do. It's what's going on in the inward parts, in the heart of who we are. He also spoke, and I don't know if this was last week or the week before, but he spoke about knowing a tree by its fruit. Now, he didn't mean a fig tree or an apple tree. He was meaning people, okay? A tree that represented people. And in particular, he was talking about people who claimed to be godly people. He was talking about, in particular, false prophets here. And he's saying a good tree will bear, bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And what he's also saying, this is just another example. I mean, I could give you many, 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 but that would just be going over all the things we already talked about. What he's saying is that what is on the inside of this person, on this tree, will eventually show up on the outside because what is in the heart will be filtrated through the rest of your life and you will know a tree by its fruit, a good tree or a bad tree. Okay, so here, this isn't going to be that different, what he talks about here. Um, let's read exactly verse 21, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, so Jesus is speaking of a person who calls him Lord, Lord, not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, you know. Um, and who would call him Lord? Um, a person who says that they're a follower, right? And he's talking to followers of his on the side of this mountain, isn't he? Um, and, he's, and he's talking to us who are believers and followers as well. So he's talking to people who believe themselves to be believers, right? We believe ourselves to be believers, to be followers of Christ. Now, that takes us to a very important question. Okay, if not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, then eek, I call him Lord, will I not go into the kingdom of heaven? What is he saying here? Can we first talk about what the word Lord means, okay? We're going to talk about what that term Lord means, means that title. Now, um, you heard the expression, oh, the Lord of the manor. Now, like a manor house would be a big house on a big plot of land. It's almost like a village, right? Uh, this is in ye olden times. And the Lord of the manor was the one who had absolute authority over what happened on that land, what happened in that house, all the dealings in that little bit of ter territory that he was Lord of the manor over. Well, it's not different when we call Lord, Lord. See, because the word Lord means a person who exercises absolute ownership rights. Um, it denotes an owner, a master, exercising their full rights. Okay, so we're talking about absolute ownership rights. A Lord has absolute ownership rights. If you're taking notes, write that down or highlight it in your Bible because that's important here. Very important what that word Lord means. Okay, now here's something. Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, speaks of God in this way as Lord, our Master, with full rights to us as believers. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. I'm reading from the NLT, where he wrote this. 
Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who, is, who was given to you by God? Here's the bit, guys. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. There he says it right there. He says it outright. No mincing words. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. If you are one of his followers, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price, and so we must honor God with our body. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You can write that down. Okay, so these people that Jesus is speaking of, the ones where he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, well, these people, um, Jesus is saying, they're calling him Lord, 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 but Jesus says that not everyone who calls him Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, those people who call him Lord, Lord, and it's not from sincerity, they are being insincere. When they're saying, Lord, Lord, you know, when, this is who Jesus is speaking of. Why are, there being, why are they being insincere? Because this, if the, word, if, if the title Lord means the one with absolute ownership rights, right? They're saying, if you call him Lord, you are saying, you who have absolute ownership right over me, over my body and what my body does, over my mind, over my thoughts, over that I fully belong to you. You are Lord, absolute ownership rights. They call him Lord, Lord, and they do all these things in his name, in his name, right? But then it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That means... You might call him Lord, Lord, but are you really, really giving him absolute authority and rights over yourself, which is what Lord means? Or are you being insincere and not doing the will of the Father in heaven? Are you, being, are you a disobedient person in your heart who lives in rebellion to what God says on the inside in your heart? But you're still saying, Lord, Lord. Well, he's not your Lord, is he? And even if you live a life of insincerity to God, where you're doing what looks right on the outside. Hey, I'm prophesying. I'm casting out demons. And I'm doing it in your name, Lord. But you don't have a heart that is sincere, that actually says, you are Lord have absolute ownership rights over me. I am obedient to everything that you ask of me. Um, I, I live in obedience. My heart wants to do what you want me to do. It doesn't want to just do what it wants to do. Well, then a person who is like that, who has that insincerity in their heart, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's talk about it more because I know there will be some people who are saying, maybe that's me. Well, let's talk about it a little more and we will see. Okay. These people, they're calling him Lord, Lord. They're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven if they are insincere and they do not do the will of the Father. Well, who will then enter into the kingdom of heaven? Who are the ones who call him Lord, Lord, who will enter into the kingdom of heaven? Um, and it's, well, he says it right there. He who does the will of my Father. So those who hear what he says, 
to do what the Father says and do it, those are the ones who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you know what that's called? That when you hear what God says to do and you do it, there's a name for that. And it's called obedience. It's called obedience. It's a word which has got um, people of, of our present age don't like the word obedience. They actually think of it as a word that we attribute to our pets, to our dog, to our cat. Oh, it's not an obedient pet. We are not the pets of the Lord. We are the children of the Lord. And I'm going to talk about this further, why obedience is a beautiful word and not an ugly word that we should just attribute to, to pets. You know, oh, my obedient dog. No, we are not like pets to the Lord. We are his children. We are his, um, his beloved, okay? Listen to this. this. This follows suit with other things in the scriptures. James 1.22, it says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. All right? Obedience is something that, that we do because if we hear God's word and don't, and don't do it and not be doers of the word, maybe you recognize it in that form better because that's what that scripture is, to be a doer of the word, then it says we're only fooling ourselves. What are we fooling ourselves about? We are fooling ourselves that we are actually fo uh, followers of Christ and that he is our Lord. If you don't do what he says, if you consistently say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't like what he says. I'm not going to do. I, in that area of my life, I'm not going to do what, what God says to do. And I continue to live in rebellion when I know what the word of God says then I'm only fooling myself. Let's not fool ourselves, okay? We fool ourselves when we hear the word, but we are not doers of the word. Then he is not Lord, okay? So that really puts conviction in my heart because, you know, you can hear tons of great sermons. You can memorize loads of scripture. You could know what God asks of his children in the Bible and know what God says he loves and what God says he does not love. But, but if you only know it in your head, it's not enough. You have to do what it says. That's what the scripture says. Or we're just fooling ourselves that we are followers of Christ. Um, in John 14, 23, Jesus says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And we, the Father and, and, and Jesus, will come and make our home with, with each of them. So that scripture shows us, out of the mouth of Jesus, that our obedience to what God says is a mark of our love for Him. It is a mark, all who love me, will do what I say. That's what Jesus says. Is that an easy thing? No, not always. It is not easy. It's not easy to take everything that the Word of God says and say, that's it, I'm doing it. It's not easy because some of it is really, really hard to do. For example, I'm going to give you a little example from my own life, okay? Being really transparent here where we, we studied it in this, the Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about do not worry. 
Jesus says that. Sometimes we feel like worry is something that's out of our control. Oh, I can't help it. I can't help but worry. You know, worry just comes naturally to me. I bet it does come naturally. It comes quite naturally to me. So this is where the conviction comes in because something will happen, a situation will occur, um, and, and all of a sudden I feel my little worrier starting to worry, starting to, you know, that little engine of worry start to, to get going. And then I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart and, and in my head, and I, and I hear him say, when are you going to do what I've asked you to do? And what is it that he's asked me to do when I begin to worry is stop worrying. Stop worrying and do what instead? Because you got to do something instead. Trust me. Trust me, Gina. Don't worry and trust me. I love, we studied this already where it says, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. These are the things that the pagans do. The people who don't have God, who have no one to trust. But it says instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. You don't need to worry. You know, when am I going to do, when am I going to do what I know I've heard in the word of God to do? And that is something that, no, it's not easy. But here, let me just put this out there. I'm going to probably talk more about this next week. Is Yes, it is difficult to do all the things and be obedient to all the things that Jesus has asked of us. Sometimes we feel these things are too big, these things are too hard, but we have the help of the Holy Spirit with us as Christians. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live the life that Christ has called us to live to, okay? We are going to get more into that next week, but I couldn't say that, you know, that we need to be obedient without saying, hey guys, it's, it's hard, but you have help. It's the Holy Spirit. All you need to do is say, help me, Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. All right, but we'll talk more about that next week. Right now, we're talking about this whole Lord, Lord, and not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter in. Okay. So when are we finally going to do what God says that we are to do? When am I finally going to say, call him Lord, Lord, and do the things? Now, listen, God is gracious. He's not beating me over the head and saying, Gina, that's it. You're not entering into the kingdom of heaven because you worried. No, because he sees, my, again, he's looking at the heart. He knows I want to get it right. He knows that like he said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, those who mourn shall be comforted. We talked about what that meant. What does it mean? We mourn our sin and the, and the horrors of it and what it, what it leads to and, and how ugly it is. And we learn as Christians in, in our journey to hate sin as much as God hates sin. And so we mourn over sin. I mean, we don't sit and go, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. No, but we say, Lord, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be held by that sin. I am a new creation in Christ. You are with me, God, and you are helping me. And it says, those who mourn shall be comforted. God is going to comfort you and help you in, in, in those times with those sins that are um, and those things that so easily beset us. He is there to help us. He will comfort us in those situations. Okay, back to the heart issue. So it's one thing to call him Lord, and it's another thing if he actually is my Lord in my heart, right? Do I give him absolute 100% control? Do I actually allow him the absolute ownership rights over me, right? Um, 
Do I not only hear, but do I also obey what he asks? Is my Christianity surface, all surface? It sounds right because I call him Lord, right? But in my heart, maybe he's not Lord because if I don't like what he asks and I don't want to do it and I choose not to do it, I have just said, hmm, you're kind of Lord. You're not fully Lord because I'm not giving you absolute rights because, well, I don't want to do what you say in that area. Mm. These are things we need to think about. We need to consider, all right? Don't beat ourselves up about it. Let's learn from it. That's what the scripture is. It's like a giant file that files away our rough edges and teaches us. And this is why we need to meditate on the word because as we meditate on these things, he, we allow the word to change us. Remember, we don't change the word. We allow the word to change us, okay? All right. Let's go to um, verse 22. Okay. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Okay. So here in this scripture, it's believed by theologians that Jesus is actually speaking about judgment day. Um, and he, there, there's been a lot of talk about Judgment Day, particularly in the Old Testament when the prophets were speaking of this day that will come. Um, that is, uh, sometimes they call it the day, um, but it is, it is speaking of the day of judgment. And that's what Jesus says. Many will say to me, in that day. What day? The day of judgment. That day that will come. And so many believe he's speaking of, of that day here. Um, and notice also, this is beautiful, that he says, in that day, many will say to me, meaning speaking of himself, notice that these people, he's saying, are going to have to answer to him, Jesus, on judgment day. He's, he's saying some amazing and profound things here in this scripture, saying them without saying them, if you know what I mean. He's saying, in that day, in judgment day, many will say to me, meaning Hey, they are going to have to say to me. And who is the judge of all humanity in scripture? God. That's right. God is the judge. Now you do the math. He's saying many will say to me on the day of judgment day. He's saying of himself. He's speaking of his divinity. Okay. So Jesus says that those who call him Lord, Lord, but don't obey, they don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. He considers that person insincere. And the fact that, that that particular person persistently, this is what he's speaking of, someone who persistently rejects God's ways. They are showing, like he just spoke of, um, that something's not right in their heart. Right? That, that Remember he spoke about that tree, that a, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit? Well, Jesus is saying... The fruit of someone persistently disobeying God in rebellion to God's word. And yet they're calling him Lord, Lord. Showing them that something is not right in the heart. In the heart. Remember, it's always about the heart. You can take it back to the heart almost every single time. Because that's where he's saying, that's why God, it says in the scriptures, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. You guard that heart that you've got in there. You keep it soft. That soft heart God put in there. Don't let, allow it to um, grow hard and to grow um, 
callous to the things of God as a believer. We mustn't allow that because out of it flows our whole life, okay? So somebody who claims to say, Lord, Lord, claims to be a follower of Christ and is persistently disobeying the Lord, living in disobedience, in, in outright rebellion to the Lord, something's not right in the heart. And the fruit that they bear from that will not be good fruit, okay? Even if they're walking in the absolute miraculous. It says that this person is prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, okay? And these people that, she, that Jesus is speaking of, the ones who call him Lord but don't have this obedience in their heart, um, they're doing amazing things, like I said. And Jesus isn't saying, no, you didn't. You didn't cast out demons in my name. You didn't prophesy in my name. He's not refuting that they did those things. They did those things, and they probably did those things with great success because miracles and all that is not about us, you know? They're not about us. They're about him. So if someone's praying for somebody or prophesying in his name, it is very possible to, to, that God would flow, that God would heal because he is good, not because we're good, to, to bring forth a word because he is, is, is good, not because we are good. Okay? He's the one who's good. Miracles aren't us. Miracles are him and his goodness. And we get the privilege of him flowing through us. We, it's just a privilege, you know? Um, they were actually doing those things for God. He doesn't deny, deny that. They performed wonders in his name. Um, but why then do they not get to enter the kingdom of God? Hey, they're doing all this great stuff, walking in the miraculous which shows us that walking in the miraculous and doing miraculous things does not mean that a person is going to enter into the kingdom of God. All right? Why? Why is that? And Jesus says it's because of this. All right. Um, verse 23. And he says this. All right. So they've asked all these questions. Well, didn't I prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And, and do many wonders in your name, you know? They're going to be trying to defend themselves, you know, from, from not being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it says, Jesus says this in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ah, scary words again. So why do they not get to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says it's, this is his answer to them. I never knew you. Does that mean he's like, who are you? Um, I, you someone slipped through the cracks here, uh, Gabriel. Uh, I didn't know this person even was born. No, that's not what it means. He knows every single person that exists and that has ever existed and whoever will exist. He knows everything. What he's saying here is this word knew, I never knew you, is a word. The word is gnosko in Greek, and it means to know someone through personal experience. And it's the same word. Listen to this. This is this is incredible. It's the same word that is that speaks of Mary when Mary becomes um, is going to become pregnant. With, this, with the Messiah, and, and the angel speaks to her and says, And Mary, a virgin, said to the angel, 
How will this be? How will I have a baby? Since I do not know a man. It's the same word, ginosko. Um, and it, it, it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of knowing someone in a relationship that is very intimate. Okay? I never had a personal and intimate relationship with you. That's what Jesus is saying to this person who says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this in your name? I did all this. It looked good on the surface, didn't it? It looked good. But something was wrong with the heart. And the problem with this person's heart, the person who says, Lord, Lord, but doesn't do anything or doesn't care about the will of the Father and following after in obedience what the Father says in their life, the reason why they don't is because there's a heart issue and the heart issue is that there's no personal heart connection with Jesus. There is no relationship with Jesus. He never knew them on a personal level. There was no relationship with them. And that's what Jesus is going to say to them in that day is I didn't have a relationship with you. You didn't have a relationship with me. So Jesus is speaking about knowing him, having knowledge of him on a relational level, not just knowing about him, not just this formulaic thing of when I speak the name of Jesus and I put my hands on somebody and I say this and do that, that this miraculous, wonderful thing happens. You know, these miracles happen and Miracles are wonderful and, and amazing. And yes, we can lay hands on the sick. We can cast out demons. When God calls us to do these things and, and these things, yes. But you want to know what's number one and most important, especially on that day when we stand before him. But every day. But on that day in particular. So that we never hear these words. Depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. So that we never hear that, the most important thing is this, that we know him relationally, that we have this intimate knowledge of Jesus, that we walk close with him. The Bible speaks about it as being in him, being in Christ and Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's, that's it, guys. That's it, okay? That's the most important thing. And he says it. Jesus is speaking. He's saying this very point blank. That only those who do the Father's will and who are known of God will enter heaven. Okay, I'm going to say that once more. Only those who do the who are obedient to the Father's will and who are known of God will enter into heaven. So more important than the supernatural and miracles is to be known by Jesus. Now, in John 6, um, the whole crowd, right? Jesus, just the day before, has miraculously fed them. Remember, he did a miracle and he fed the, the multitudes. He did a miracle. And um, he's multipl multiplied bread. And, and the people then say to him, we want to do miracles too, Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that? Listen to Jesus' response to these people. And this is Matthew chapter 6. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. John chapter 6, verses 28 
and 29. Listen to this. This is Jesus' response to them. Okay. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Boom. Jesus drops the mic right there. Boom. Mic drop. Okay. He says, this is the work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So when I'm saying that the only ones who are going to make it um, who, who, into the kingdom of heaven, who are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, are the ones who do the will of the Father and are known of him. The thing that is the Father's will is this. Believe in the one that he has sent. That's the number one thing that we are to do to see that, that, that God wants. Greater than the supernatural, greater than the miracles that we will see when in his name is that we are known by him, that we are known by Jesus. Okay, so Jesus doesn't want us... Okay, Jesus does... Okay, I've, wrote, I've written this quite oddly in my notes, but I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want us to believe and pray for people and believe for miracles. And I mean, that's a silly thing to say, is that Jesus doesn't want us praying and believing for things. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks to us about praying, and he talks to us about trusting um, him. So, of course, Jesus is not saying, don't trust me for miracles, don't trust me for food, don't trust me for, for all the, the needs you have in your life and for all of this stuff and for the miraculous. No, of course not. He's told us to pray and told us to believe that God hears us and to have faith. He told us that. But a relationship with him is more important than anything, more important than, more important than anything in this life. Anything. And Jesus, remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God with us. He's Emmanuel and he's come to the earth right here. You see him come to the earth. And what does he do? He preaches a stonker of a sermon and he point blank, God with us. I always remind myself this because it blows my mind that this Jesus is God. Remember that. And point blanks, he tells us this, that we are to have a relationship with him. And the fact that Jesus wants to be in relationship with us and know us, know us on a personal level is astounding. And people can tend to get very scared of these scriptures. This, depart from me, I never knew you. But you know what I take away from this? Yes, that is scary. But I'm like, wow, he wants to know me. Wow, he wants a relationship with me. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, and that's what he wants. Not only does he want it, he commands it. And people can tend to get a little scared here at this verse because, you know, he mentions that day, which is judgment day, and hearing scary words like depart from me. Yeah, that is awful. But he's also, this is the ultimate invitation is what he's saying. You don't ever have to hear those words. You, you will never hear those words if you are in me if you are in Christ and I know who you are and you are one of those ones whose heart issue is all sorted there's no rebellion and lawlessness in your heart because you're I've given you a new heart and I'm gonna get into that let's not miss the forest for the trees in these scriptures it's good news here he wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you where you are known by him not scary, beautiful, and amazing, okay? Here's a thought to ponder. 
this is a thought, and I had this, I was thinking about this, and, and, and on the surface, it, it might just be blah, blah, blah to you, but as I started meditating on this, I was like, wow. You know, heaven isn't heaven without Jesus, without God, and if someone doesn't want to know God here and now, they don't want a relationship with him in the here and the now, why does that person want to spend eternity with him? Because that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be with, in relationship with him on a, like a level we can't even believe or like we can't even fathom in heaven. And that's what the glory of the glory of heaven isn't golden streets and, 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 uh, and rainbow thrones and, and angels singing. The glory of heaven is that our relationship with him will never end. We will be with him forever and ever with Jesus with the one who loves our soul, we'll just, just, it's relationship, that's what heaven is, it's being in Christ, and when we pass from this life, and this is why death to the believer is like, wow, is because it goes from knowing him through a veil, where we only see through darkly, but it's still wonderful, to going beyond the veil, and it's going to be like, whew, these are things, people that we think about and we ponder them it's like it bl blows the mind and yeah it does bring emotion and it should as we as we think about that that heaven isn't heaven without Jesus and if you don't want to know him here and be in relationship here why would you want to spend eternity with him right but you do want to spend eternity with him because you love him okay now <clears throat> let's go on Remember what it also says, I have this written here, 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Hey, eternity starts here, and it starts now, and it starts with your relationship with Him. I have this little theory that when we pass from this life as a believer, it's going to just blow our minds to the point of we're going to probably not even know it. It's just going to be like, Jesus, I can see your face. <laughs> it's amazing because we have eternal life. Even now, yeah, our bodies, they'll pass from us and we will come out of these earth suits and we will go be with him. But it will be, he who has a son has life. You have eternal life now and it's in you. And it's just going to burst forth from you one day. Like Jesus burst out of that tomb. You are going to burst out of your skin one day in that same way. And we are going to be with him, we are going to be like him, and you're going to be like, I can't even believe that I was okay with living life back there on the earth. This is so amazing. Living beyond the veil. It's going to be off the chart. We are going to see him, and that is for those in Christ, okay? All right, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, now, wait a minute. I thought we were under grace, right? And not law. We're under grace now, not law. What is this, you who practice lawlessness as a believer? Law? I don't understand. Listen to what lawless is in the scripture. To be lawless is to act without regard to the law, okay? It's like me just coming up to a red light in my car and being like, big deal, going right through it, right? I don't care. I don't care about any red lights. I'm going to go through all the red lights. You know, that is a lawless person. Hey, when you think about it that way, what a dangerous person a lawless person is, huh? Okay. Um, and the word for lawlessness in the Bible is often translated iniquity 
or sin. And according to the Bible, the root of all lawlessness is rebellion. So Jesus is speaking to that person who believes they're a follower of Christ. Surfacely, they do, you know, they do things in the name of the Lord. There is a heart issue, and the heart issue with someone with that problem is rebellion, lawlessness in their heart. They still have lawlessness, rebellion in their heart. 1 John 3, 4 says this, Everyone who keeps living in sin also practices disobedience, lawlessness. In fact, sin is disobedience. Mm. Okay, so to commit sin is to be lawless. And that is, um, the sinner breaks God's law. And in this way, lawlessness is like a reject. It's not like, it is. It is a rejection of God. Now, you have to understand something. We are believers. Does that mean that um, I will never sin again? Because I'm a Christian now. I never sin. I never do anything wrong. That is wrong, okay? We will sin because we're human. We live in a broken world. And, you know, there are things about us that we are on a journey with Christ. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we'll miss the mark. That's another uh, of, uh, description of sin, missing the mark. And get it wrong, right? So we will do stuff wrong. But... There's a difference between doing something wrong now and again and not always getting it right and living a lawless life, living a life of disobedience. Okay, lawlessness in the scripture is contrasted with righteousness. Okay, you're going to see the difference here. Um, Romans 6, 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, sin just leads to more sin, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, so we see kind of a, um, a contrast between lawlessness and righteousness. That once... We were lawless. We are no longer lawlessness, uh, under lawlessness, but now righteous. And so we now present our members, our, our, all the parts of our body, we present them to God as righteous. And we do the righteous thing. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do, we use this verse often for people in marriage and dating, but it also speaks of um, the contrast between righteousness and lawlessness. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You can't be both, okay? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As a believer, the sincere believer is, is righteous in Christ. We are in Christ. We are the righteous. This is the difference between someone who sins. They are righteous, but they, they sin sometimes, right? We don't, don't always get it right. And someone who lives a life of lawlessness, okay? Um, is the one who is righteous has been given a new heart. The lawless one still has the old stony heart. Listen to this, Ezekiel 36, 26. And this was a promise for the future that the Messiah would bring. And this is what he has brought already. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, the one that always wants to sin, that can't not sin, that just desires to be rebellious to God. And instead, he said, he will give us a tender and responsive heart that, you know what? 
Um, that doesn't mean like the, the righteous person in Christ will never again sin. No, but the righteous person now has a new nature, a new heart. We might sin, but we don't practice sin. We don't live in sin. And as a righteous person in Christ, we shouldn't feel comfortable when we sin, right? It should feel uncomfortable because your new heart is not wired to live a lawless life apart from Christ. And that is why when we do something or slip into something that isn't right, say or do something, that we feel this conviction in our heart. We feel like, Ugh, I feel yucky now. Because it's not comfortable with your new life and the new life that you are. That is not you anymore. Where the lawless person, they don't even feel it. They're like one big callus on their heart. They could just lie and it don't mean nothing. They could just... Um, hate people, not forgive people. I don't want to give my money to God. I'm not, I want to, God don't deserve my money. I work hard for my money. He's not getting my money. You know, they have this callous over their heart where they are able to live lawlessly and it doesn't bother them in the least because they haven't been given that soft and tender heart. Okay, we talked about this where it says, blessed are those who mourn. This is part of the Beatitudes, for they shall be comforted. That was Matthew 5, 4. Mourn what? Mourn sin. We should hate sin like God hates sin. And when we fall into it, it should bother us as believers. And we, sh we should be quick to say, hey, God, I'm sorry. That, I was wrong in doing that. Just, just let's wipe the slate clean and help me not to do that next time. Help me, Holy Spirit, to be better than that because you've made me better than that. You've made me new. The lawless one are the ones who are comfortable with rejecting God, rejecting what he says, rejecting doing what he asks, because they're still of the old nature, not the righteous. The righteous have a new nature, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So there are people who name the name of Jesus and God and they do things that seem that they like they have this incredible in with God, right? They do um, all these acts that seem miraculous, right? The casting out demons and doing wonders. and um, But they do it with an insincerity because they have a heart issue. Being this heart issue is that they remain lawless. They don't belong to Jesus. He doesn't know them in relationship. Okay? So that's why he says, I never knew you. Because they never pursued relationship. They looked at this whole thing with Christ and they, they were oohed and awed by what Jesus does. But not who Jesus is. And not the relationship they can have with him where he says, I know you and you know me. And we are in a relationship. Jesus spoke about it like a branch in a vine. You know, didn't he? That we are a branch in a vine. And when we're in Christ, we're that branch in that vine. And that's the relationship that we are meant to have with Jesus. Like a branch in a vine. Okay, um, so the lawless ones, they don't belong to Jesus. He doesn't know them in a relationship. But the one who is sincere in Christ has a new nature. He wants to live obediently to God. They don't want to rebel against him. Um... This is not just adhering to law, because oh, we live under law, but this is obedience from having that new, soft, tender heart that says, oh, I hate when I sin. I feel so yucky when I lie. I feel so horrible when I harbor unforgiveness. You know, like when I, when I screamed at my husband the other day and, and told him off, wow, I feel rotten for that. And you say sorry, and you are sorry, because that's not you anymore. That's not me anymore. 
We don't, that doesn't sit right inside us. We can't just go to sleep at night with an easy, oh, I could just go to sleep even though I lied my head off all day today. No, we can't do that. And we have that beauty in relationship where, where God just kind of nudges our heart and says, that wasn't right. That's not how a believer lives. He doesn't beat us. He just nudges our heart and he's like, mm -mm, that wasn't too good. That wasn't good. That don't please me. That, that's not what I like. And so my soft heart then says, Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That didn't glorify you. That didn't show me to be the believer that I am, the follower of Christ. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that anymore. See, that's, no, that's a normal Christian. Yeah, we get it wrong sometimes, but we get forgiveness, and we, it doesn't sit comfortable in us, and we got to get the yuck out. You know, Jesus forgives us, washes it, you know, just get all the junk out. Because that new, clean heart, we want to keep it that way. You know, and Jesus helps us to do that. The Holy Spirit helps us. We have a love relationship with Jesus. Okay. And to that person, never fear the judgment day. He will never say to you, depart from me. I never knew you when you are in relationship with him. Righteousness is not about being good. You know, hey, I'm a good person. I'm, gonna, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. No. It's about being in Christ. And Christ knows his own. He knows who has a relationship, who's invited him to, be, to, to come into their life and say, Jesus, I want to know you in my life. He knows his own. Lawlessness is therefore not about being bad. Oh, he's a bad person. He's going to go, he's going straight to hell. No. Lawlessness is, lawlessness is about not being in Christ. It's all about being in Christ or not being in Christ. That's the ultimate. That's it. Not belonging, because being good doesn't get you to heaven. Being bad doesn't get you to hell. It's not being in Christ that, that, that will, will cause one not to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not having a new heart. You know, and remember, all this is, is, is a free gift. You know, it's not us who make our heart right. Jesus makes our heart right. We say, I want that new life in Christ. It's free. It's a free gift, okay? We just say thank you, and that's it. You know, and take that beautiful gift, and then we're good. Then we're good. Be in relationship with him. Do what you do to keep a relationship right. Spend time with him. Read your Bible. Tell him you love. Worship him. You know, live for him. Okay? And I'm coming in at the end here. Um, all right. So the one with a stony heart, disobedient to God, and they don't care about that, Jesus has no part in that one's life. And I'm just going to end with what I said before. Only those who do the Father's will. What's the Father's will? To know Jesus. And therefore, we are known by the Father in heaven. And we will never, for the ones who are known by the Father in heaven, in relationship with Jesus, you know Jesus. If we know him, we will never hear those horrible words, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. We will not hear that one. All right. Well, be blessed. Go about being that righteous person that you are this week. Hey, if you get it wrong, that's all right. Jesus will forgive you. And you can continue in your walk and relationship with Jesus because he just adores you and wants to just spend eternity with you. Have a great week. Okay. Bye.